0: Hello, and welcome to the Excel Energy Third Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. My name is George. I'll be a coordinator for today's event. Please note this conference is being recorded, and for the duration of the call, your lines will be on listen only. A question-answer session will follow the prepared remarks, and questions will only be taken from institutional investors and analysts. Reporters can contact media relations with inquiries, and individual investors and others can reach out to investor relations. To register for a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you require assistance at any point, please press star 0, and you will be connected to an operator. I'd like to hand the call over to your host today, Mr. Paul Johnson, Vice President, Treasurer, and Investor Relations, to begin today's conference. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Thank you. Good morning, and welcome to Excel Energy's third quarter earnings call. Joining me today are Bob Frenzel, Chairman, President, Chief Executive Officer, and Brian Van Abel, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. In addition, we have other members of the management team in the room to answer your questions if needed. This morning, we will review our third-quarter results and highlights, share recent business and regulatory developments, update our capital and financing plans, and provide 2024 guidance. Slides that accompany today's call are available on our website. As a reminder, some of the comments during today's call may contain forward-looking information. Significant factors that could cause results to differ from those anticipated, are described in our earnings release and our SEC filings. Today, we'll discuss certain measures that are non-GAAP measures. Information on comparable GAAP measures and reconciliations are included in our earnings release. Earlier this week, a jury in Denver District Court found Excel Energy liable in its dispute with Core Cooperative regarding prior years' lost power damages at our Comanche Power plant. We intend to appeal the decision. For the third quarter of 2023, we recorded gap earnings of $1.19 per share, which includes a one-time non-reoccurring pre-tax charge of thirty-four million dollars related to the ongoing legal dispute. As a result, we have taken a non-reoccurring charge of five cents per share, which we don't consider part of ongoing earnings. All further discussion in our earnings call will focus on earning on ongoing earnings. For more information on this matter, please see the disclosure on earnings
2: release release.
3: I'll now turn the call over to Bob. Thanks, Paul. Good morning, everybody. Let's start with the quarter. We had solid results recording ongoing earnings of $1.23 per share for 2023 compared to $1.18 per share in 2022. As a result, we're narrowing our 23 ongoing earnings guidance to $3.32 to $3.37 per share. We're also initiating 2024 ongoing earnings guidance to $3.50 to $3.60 per share, which is consistent with our 5 to 7% long-term EPS growth rate. Consistent with past practices, we've reviewed our customer and operational needs and have updated our infrastructure plan for 2024 to 2028. This revised forecast reflects $34 billion of needed capital investment, an increase of 4.5 billion from our previous plan. This base infrastructure investment plan includes substantial resiliency investments in both transmission and distribution, including additional upgrades required to support the Colorado Energy Plan. However, it does not include clean energy generation investments that could result from the resource plans in Colorado, Texas, and New Mexico, or in the Upper Midwest. If approved by our Commission, these cost-effective clean energy generation investments could result in an additional capital needs totaling $10 billion from 2024. To 2028 and dramatically reduce carbon emissions in various states. Xcel Energy's resource plans also demonstrate the benefit of the Inflation Reduction Act, our state's geographic advantages that enable high capacity renewable generation, and our operational expertise and commercial acumen can bring to our customers. In September, we filed our recommended plan in Colorado. This plan seeks to double the amount of renewable energy in the state, making it the largest clean energy transition effort in Colorado history, and demonstrates our strong alignment with the state's environmental goals. Our proposal contemplates the shutdown or conversion of our remaining coal units, replaces them with approximately 6,500 megawatts of renewable energy and battery storage, and 600 megawatts of dispatchable gas resources to ensure system reliability in times of low wind or solar conditions. These amounts include 4,800 megawatts as proposed to be owned and operated by Xcel Energy for the benefit of our customers. Including the approximately $3 billion in required transmission investment to ensure deliverability and reliability, this Colorado Energy Plan represents nearly an $11 billion total investment by Xcel Energy. In addition, this portfolio also includes $10 billion in IRA savings to customers. It creates local jobs, promotes economic development, and provides over $2 billion in tax benefits to local communities in the coming decades. At the same time, it will reduce carbon emissions by over 80% from 2005 levels in Colorado while having an expected annual rate impact of only 2.3%. This competitive portfolio provides our Colorado customers an industry-leading opportunity for a cleaner economy at a fraction of the cost most other states would incur moving to minnesota in september the commission approved 350 megawatts of new renewable generation including an additional 250 megawatts at our Sherco facility this brings the total amount of company-built solar at Sherco to over 700 megawatts making it one of the largest solar facilities in the country in october we also issued an rfp seeking 1200 megawatts of wind that will utilize our Transmission Interconnect at our retiring Sherco Coal Facility and will be issuing additional RFPs to fulfill the remainder of the approved Upper Midwest Resource Plan in 2024. Finally, in October, we filed a, a resource plan in New Mexico. Based on our filing, SPS could require an additional 5 to 10,000 megawatts of new generation by the end of the decade to accommodate increasing demand, plant retirements, and ensure resiliency and reliability of the grid. We've already proposed 418 megawatts of company-owned solar and battery projects that are pending commission approval, and we anticipate filing another RFP in 2024 for the additional generation resources. Shifting to our clean energy innovation projects, the Department of Energy recently announced nearly $1.5 billion in awards to support multiple Xcel Energy-affiliated projects. Starting with the Heartland Hydrogen Hub, this estimated $5 billion initiative, which includes multiple projects from Excel Energy and others, received an award of up to $925 million by the, the DOE. This game-changing funding will serve as a catalyst for a clean hydrogen ecosystem in the upper Midwest and the foundation of our clean fuels efforts at Excel Energy. Unfortunately, the Western Interstate Hydrogen Hub in Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming, and Utah was not successful in this round of DOE funding. And that said, we remain committed to working with policymakers and federal offices with the hopes that our projects can progress to advance our shared clean energy goals. The DOE also awarded Xcel Energy up to $70 million to support two 10-megawatt, 100-hour battery pilots with Form Energy. Combined with the grants from Breakthrough Energy's Catalyst Fund, we secured up to $90 million to support these long-duration energy storage pilots, a critical asset class to ensure cost-effective reliability in a high-renewable grid. With respect to DOE's Grid Resilience and Innovation Partnerships Program, Xcel Energy was selected as part of two different awards. First, the DOE awarded Xcel Energy $100 million to support projects to mitigate the threat of wildfires. And ensure resiliency of the grid through extreme weather. Projects include vegetation management, selective undergrounding, advanced infrastructure technologies, drones, and several additional resiliency projects. Excel Energy was also party to GRIP's $464 million grant to expand transmission as part of the MISO and SPP SEAMS program to fund high voltage transmission to improve interregional transfer capability, reliability, and resolve grid constraints. We're appreciative of the DOE support as well as many of our partners in these projects, including our state and regional transmission organizations. Funding support helps us accelerate critical carbon-free technologies, enhance safety and resiliency while keeping costs low for customers. According to our natural gas utility, in August, we filed our clean heat program in Colorado This first-of-a-kind plan provides a framework to reduce greenhouse gas emissions consistent with state goals in our net zero emissions target. The plan fast-tracks solutions such as electrification, demand-side management, clean fuels, and certified natural gas. The proposed Clean Heat Plus portfolio reduces greenhouse gas emissions by 28% by 2030, ensures customer reliability and choice, while optimizing customer bill impact. We plan to file our natural gas innovation plan, a corresponding framework for our Minnesota gas utility in the fourth quarter. In September, META announced construction of a $700 million data center in Minnesota, which eventually could be one of our largest customers in the state. We continue to evaluate a number of additional data center and commercial opportunities that will further support low growth and economic development in our communities. Finally, there are not many new material developments with the Marshall Wildfire Litigation. We currently have 14 complaints with 675 plaintiffs, which have been consolidated into a single case. For the past four years, Xcel Energy has been operating under a commission-approved wildfire mitigation program in Colorado. We intend to file an updated wildfire mitigation plan next year, which will include a wide range of options for stakeholder consideration, including new technologies undergrounding, additional vegetation management, composite poles, selective use of covered conductor and preventative power system shutoffs. Let me wrap up with just a few summary comments before I turn it over to Brian. As we look forward across the next five years and beyond, we see a future that is bright for our communities, our customers, and our investors. Xcel Energy is committed to providing a clean energy economy in our region and it will require meaningful investment to accomplish. For our customers, we have the potential to deploy 15 to 20,000 megawatts of new clean generation on our systems by 2030, dramatically lowering our emissions profile, affordably powering our customers' homes and businesses while ensuring 99.99% reliability that they've come to expect from Xcel Energy. And through leveraging the benefits of the IRA and the IIJA we are able to accelerate deployment of renewable resources and pairing them with affordable energy storage assets and other firm dispatchable clean fuel resources to provide reliability we continue to invest in and innovate our transmission and distribution systems to ensure reliability and resilience and provide for regional and interregional deliverability we're laying the framework to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions on our natural gas system. All the while, our residential customer electric and natural gas bills are amongst the lowest in the country, at 28 and 14 percent below the national average. And given that the regions where we serve customers are the most resource-rich in wind and solar, we believe that we can lead this clean energy transition for our customers more cost-effectively than almost any other company.
4: With that, turn it over to Brian. Thanks, Bob, and good morning, everyone. We had ongoing earnings of $1.23 per share for the third quarter of 2023, compared to $1.18 per share in 2022. The most significant earnings drivers for the quarter included the following. Lower O&M expenses increased earnings by $0.03 per share, which reflects the impact of cost containment actions. Lower effective tax rate and conservation and demand-side management expenses, which increase earnings by $0.03 per share. Note that these items are primarily offset in lower margins and earnings neutral. In addition, other items combine to increase earnings by $0.04 per share. Offsetting these positive drivers, higher interest charges, which decreased earnings by $0.03 per share, driven by rising interest rates and increased debt levels of fund capital investment, and higher depreciation and amortization expense, which decreased earnings by $0.02 per share, reflecting our capital investment program. Turning to sales, year-to-date weather-adjusted electric sales increased by 1.1%, largely driven by strong C&I sales. As a result, we now expect annual electric sales growth of 1% to 2% in 2023. Shifting to expenses, O&M decreased $25 million for the third quarter, reflecting management actions to lower costs we now expect our annual O&M expenses to decline by 1% to 2%. During the third quarter, we also made progress in several regulatory proceedings, and we are getting close to wrapping up a busy regulatory year. 2024 will be much lighter from a rate case perspective. In our Colorado Electric rate case, the Commission approved our settlement that reflects a $95 billion rate increase based on an ROE of 9.3%, and an equity ratio of 55.7 percent. Rates were effective in September. In October, the New Mexico Commission approved our electric rate case settlement. That reflects a rate increase of $33 million based on an ROE of 9.5 percent, an equity ratio of 54.7 percent, a forward test year, an acceleration of token depreciation to 2028. Rates were effective in October. In our pending Texas electric rate case, we reached a settlement in principle on revenue requirements. We're hopeful the parties will reach agreement on class cost allocation and rate design so that we can file the settlement this year. We expect a decision and implementation of rates in the first quarter of 2024. And as a reminder, we have a relate back date to July 13th. And in Wisconsin, we continue to work through the regulatory process for electric and natural gas rate cases and expect a commission decision by year end. With regards to future rate cases, we plan to file a natural gas rate case for Minnesota in the fourth quarter and a potential Colorado natural gas rate case in the first quarter of next year. Updating our progress on production tax credit transferability, we recently executed two contracts totaling $250 million. We anticipate further PTC sales in the fourth quarter consistent with our plan totaling $300 to $400 million for the year. Transferability lowers the cost of our renewable energy projects for our customers and reduces near-term funding needs. Moving to our updated capital forecast, we've issued a robust $34 billion five-year base capital plan with annual rate-based growth of 7.6%. The base plan reflects commission-approved renewable projects, including over 700 megawatts of new solar at Shirko the baseline also reflects significant grid and resiliency investments, including our Colorado Power Pathway, transmission to support our Colorado Preferred Plan, and MISO investments, as well as other system investments to maintain asset health and reliability. In addition, we have additional capital investment opportunities for renewables and firm capacity associated with the Colorado Preferred Plan, 418 megawatts of proposed self-built solar and storage in SPS, and further RFPs in NSP and SPS. We will update our base capital plan after our various commissions complete their review and finalize their decisions regarding our proposals. These opportunities, if approved, could translate to $10 billion of additional investment through 2028, resulting in annual rate-based growth of 10.7%. We've updated our base financing plan, which reflects $15 billion of debt and $2.5 billion of equity we anticipate that any incremental capital investment would be funded by approximately 40% equity and 60% debt. It is important to recognize that we've always maintained a balanced financing strategy, which includes a mix of debt and equity to fund accretive growth while maintaining a strong balance sheet and credit metrics. Maintaining solid credit ratings and favorable access to capital markets are critical to fund our clean energy transition, deliver strong shareholder returns, and keep customer bills low, especially with rising interest rates. Shifting to earnings, we've updated our 2023 guidance assumptions to reflect the latest information. We're also narrowing our 2023 ongoing earnings guidance range to $3.32 to $3.37 per share. We have a long history of delivering on our financial objectives and expect to continue that trend in 2023. As a result, we anticipate strong earnings in the fourth quarter that will result in achieving our earnings guidance. Key drivers include Incremental revenue from the Colorado and New Mexico electric rate cases. Deferral of certain O&M depreciation and in interest expenses as part of the Texas electric rate case. Strong O&M cost management and better than expected sales growth. Finally, we are initiating our 2024 ongoing earnings guidance range of $3.50 to $3.60 per share, which is consistent with our long-term EPS growth objective of 5 to 7% assumptions are detailed in our earnings release. With that, I'll wrap up with a quick summary. We continue to execute our clean energy plans, leveraging the benefits of the IRA to reduce costs for our customers. We proposed a game-changing preferred plan in Colorado, which results in one of the most aggressive renewable buildouts in the country. We secured DOE grants for our Heartland hydrogen hub, wildfire mitigation plants, Form entry pilots, and transmission expansion, which will accelerate breakthrough technology and reduce risk at a lower cost for our customers. We resolved rate cases in Colorado and New Mexico while reaching a settlement in principle in Texas. We are nearing our 2023 ongoing earnings guidance and continue to expect to deliver within our guidance range as we have for the past 18 years. We announced a robust, updated capital investment program and initiated 2024 guidance that provides strong, transparent rate-based growth and customer value. And finally, we remain confident we can continue to deliver long-term earnings and dividend growth within the upper half of our 5 to 7% objective range as we lead the clean energy transition and continue to keep bills low for our customers. This concludes our prepared remarks.
0: Operator, we will now take questions. Thank you very much, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, for analysts to register for a question, please press star 1 and you on your telephone keypad. Our first question today is coming from Julian Dumoulin-Smith of Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, team. Uh, nicely
5: done. Got to say, what a what a set of updates. Hey, quarter you. over quarter here.
3: Hey, Julian,
5: good morning. <laughs> hey, good morning. You? Thank you. Go, quite well. Really appreciate it. It's still warm here. Yeah, warm Still warm in Houston. I'll leave it at that. Um, so maybe uh, just to, um, to to pick things up here real quickly, on the credit side, I mean, I, I appreciate the commentary about 60-40. Can you comment a little bit about the latest um, modernization policies um, for the credit rating agencies and thoughts about monetizing um, in, in terms of flowing tax credits through FFO? To what extent uh, does that um, change or impact your, your financing plan at all? Just to come back to that a bit.
4: Hey, Julian. Good morning. Yeah, so we met with the credit rating agencies in September. Um, and as we're sitting right now, we've included tax credit transferability in our financing plan, and we expect it to, that they will include it in the way they look at our credit metrics. And for us, we use the income tax election method, so it'll flow through our cash from operations in our financial statement. So all of that is included um, in, our, in our base plan as we think about it.
5: Excellent. All right. Thank you. And then separately, just as you think about the um, the the upside plan here, I mean, it's just incredible uh, incredible numbers here. I mean, I, and I know there's a lot of fixation here in Colorado, but can you walk through a little bit of, of just the timing here and some of the other jurisdictions in terms of uh, coming to fruition, especially through 2020, it's uh, practically around the corner. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, the specific uh, timelines to getting some of that, that full 10 reflected in the plan here just as it goes? Uh, to aligning against the full update with, with 4Q or beyond?
3: Yeah, hey, Julian, it's Bob. Uh, look, we're really excited about the Colorado Energy Plan. Um, it's great to see it sort of nearing uh, conclusion and approval milestones. You know, we've been working on this for two years, and we've actually been working with the counterparties on the bids for over six months. You know, I, I recognize that it might be uh, quick timing for – for the external world, but we've been working with these people for for a while and we're really excited about what we've done here. Um, You know, we've been working with stakeholders very collaboratively in the PUC over the past two years uh, to bring this plan to life for our Colorado customers. Uh, Obviously a great wrinkle, right in the middle of it with the IRA, right? And so we've basically been able to double the renewable portfolio, uh, have the fossil portfolio, uh, increase our storage component dramatically. so we think the plan meets the policy guidelines. The process from here is, is relatively quick in the grand scheme of things. So We received the independent engineer's report that validated uh, our proposal last week, actually Monday of this week, I think. Uh, we get uh, comments, uh, external comments due early November. We reply to those comments late November, and then we turn it over to the Commission for deliberations. We think that happens um, in December and early next year, and probably early uh, Q1 of next year, we'd expect a decision uh, from the Commission. So pretty quick, uh, given the long time frame of the process in total.
4: And, Julie, and a couple of the other pieces in that Steel for Field 2.0 plan is the SPS Solar Plus Storage. We should get the decision in Q2 of next year, and then we just launched a Minnesota 1,200-megawatt wind RFP. Uh, bids are due in December, should get a short list in q two of next year on that um, and then not in anywhere in our steel for field 2.0 but really looking forward to working with our, with our stakeholders in SBS Bob mentioned this in his opening remarks about our New Mexico resource plan we'll launch an RFP in uh, mid next year and that's five thousand to ten thousand megawatts of potential generation resources and should get a, a project selection in um, call it early to mid-2025 for that. So nowhere in the, the, the $10 billion, but a great opportunity to look forward to transition to SPS's generation fleet, to.
5: Yeah, it's incredible, uh, again, update. With that said, though, and, and given the timing early 1Q for at least the, the a good chunk of that, I mean, 4Q, could we see an update to your, your um, earnings CAGR outlook and or any other me- related metrics as you get that clarity affirmed here, uh, at least on the preponderance of it?
4: Yeah, Julian, I mean, it certainly will wait until we get through the commission approvals. Um, so, but if that timing aligns, then yeah, then yes, it'd be fair to think through that.
0: All right, guys, I will leave it there. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. We'll now move to Nicholas Campanella calling from Barclays. Please go ahead.
6: Hey, good morning. Happy Friday. Thanks for taking the question. Hey. How are you? Good morning. Hey. Um, so, a couple couple for me, I guess, on Colorado, as you kind of layer in that to the next financing plan, um, and obviously you have the 40% rule, is, is equity continuing to be programmatic across the five years, or does that drive a, more, a larger need in the near years of the plan?
4: Hey, Nick, good morning. You know, the way we look at it, the base capital plan, regular, um, pretty programmatic as we as we think about it, um, most likely an ATM with the base capital plan. When you look at the, the not just the Colorado, but the $10 billion of the steel for fuel 2.0 opportunities, this is really kind of the 25, 26, 27 timeframe or the heavy spend. So um, I would look at it as that's kind of the time frame that would align with the spend for that incremental and additional opportunities. Got it.
6: And then one more on the Colorado plan. I just I know the commission is 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 exploring some type of risk sharing mechanism for the renewable assets. But can you just help us understand if that type of proposal is something that would tweak the plan in any way? Is it something that you're working with the commission actively on? And how could that kind of transpire through the remaining course of the year here?
3: Yeah, you know, consistent with past practice, Nick, we would we would expect uh, some forms of customer protections, capital costs, or uh, energy cost providers. We've submitted some proposals to the commission uh, that they, for their purview, uh, it'll go along with their overall decision. Uh, and on the portfolio side, you know, of course, there's there's always chance to look at it, but you know, we've looked at this, you know, sideways, backways, frontways. Think we've put together a great plan that that complements the geographic diversity in the state where the wind and solar physically come into the into the grid uh, to provide uh, high resiliency and reliability from the renewable resources. And so, you know, always chance to, to move it around a little bit, but we don't think this substantial changes coming from the
6: plan. That's great. And if I could just squeeze one more in, um, you know, you talked about the data centers uh, in your prepared remarks, your, um, your weather normalized load for, for 24 is two to 3%. And that's higher than last year by a hundred basis points to so just, what are you seeing that's changing the demand profile? How are you thinking about the longer-term forecast and whether that's pressure higher uh, in your five to seven? Thank you. Uh, thank, thanks, Nick. I'll, I'll take that one. Uh, the way
4: I think about it is, uh, yes, yeah, so we're starting to see a number of things in our long-term sales sales forecast you know we updated our sales forecast for 2024 two to three percent but we think over the five years we expect that two to three percent category to hold if not call it conservative given what we're seeing on the the potential load from data centers data centers represent less than one percent of our sales right now we see some potential where that could grow to five percent over this next five years um as i think about just next year significant electrification happening in the oil and gas uh, region in the Permian Basin, the Delaware Basin. We're working very closely with our large customers down there around, it's not just, it's not really about even um, more drilling. It's about electrification of their pumps, compressors as they hit their net zero goals in the Permian Basin and achieve the the goals that the state of New Mexico has for them. Um, and, And then also we're starting to see an uptick in residential demand, you know we're starting to see um, penetration from the e v perspective, so overall um really great trend as we look out not only next year but longer term with uh, kind of electrification and data center potential.
3: Hey, and Nick, just just to add on to that this is Bob. Um, when I think about some of the comments I made in the opening remarks about the ability to deliver clean energy more cost effectively in the, in our regions of the country than other parts. I think over the long term that should absolutely uh, accrue to our state's benefits in terms of economic development. Uh, energy and energy-intensive resources are going to come back and onshore the United States. Uh, we should be a very attractive destination for them as we can deliver renewable energy and clean energy much more cost-effectively. You know, we just we, we serve customers where the wind blows and the sun shines, and, and that translates to high capacity factors and lower. Energy costs to our customers, which should lead to long term economic development in our states.
6: All right. Thanks so much. See you in a few weeks
0: here. Thank you very much, sir. We'll now move to Durgesh Chopra, calling from EverCore ISI. Please go ahead.
2: Hey, good morning, team. Thanks for taking my questions. Hey, uh, hey good morning. Just- Good, good morning. Uh, you guys have been sort of the, the leader uh, in transferability. I mean, you were kind of one of the first ones to introduce the concept and start working on it. It seems like you're, you're making great strides here. The target for the year, if I recall this, if I have this correctly, was increased from 200 million to 300 to 400 million. I just wanted to see if, if I'm thinking about that correctly. And then what does that do to the prior plan had 1.8 billion in uh, in total amount raised from transferability. What does that number look like in the current plan?
4: Yeah, so you're actually thinking about it correctly. You know, we when, when we went into this year before the market had even fully set up, we're a little bit conservative of saying around 200 million. We've already executed two contracts for $250 million and working on another. So we feel very good about our three to $400 million for, um, in total for balance of the year. Um, and we think about our baseline, we've layered in the Circle solar projects now that they've been approved. So we have a little bit over five, I think about it, about $500 million run rate annual transfer of, of PTC credits. So it's about a total of $2.7 billion over our five-year forecast from 24, 24 to 28. Thank
2: you. Uh, that's really helpful. And then maybe just, I didn't see this in your prepared remarks on the slide. Dex, then maybe I missed it. But just any um, update on the, the gas uh, price risk management plan that you have to file in Colorado? I believe that's due next month.
4: Yeah, so we'll file it by November 1st. Absolutely right. So uh, due next week. Um, working with the stakeholders, working on the plan, we think about it in a couple of different veins. One is this idea of this smoothing mechanism where we can reduce volatility volatility by using our balance sheet. And so if if commodity prices spike to a certain level we would take that on our balance sheet and spread it over one two three four years and get a carrying cost on it or really reduce that volatility that our customers experienced last year so that's important because we need to maintain a good balance sheet strong credit quality to be able to use use our balance sheet to help our customers out the second part is really focus on you know what are the proposals we can make to reduce volatility and that's whether there's additional physical storage, potential for fixed physical contracts, or additional financial hedging. So you see all that as part of our proposal here coming up next week. And look forward to working with the Commission and the stakeholders in helping reduce the volatility for our customers in Colorado.
3: You know, DeGress, just to add on to that, one of the, the
4: the best things
3: we've done for our customers is our renewables portfolio. We have lowered our reliability on fossil fuels dramatically over the past five years, and the customers have accrued over $4 billion of, of fuel savings and tax benefits from that since 2017. Uh, so as we continue to look forward, obviously the Colorado Energy Plan, our Upper Midwest Energy Plans, certainly de risk our customers uh, from a commodity volatility on the electric side. And as we lean into clean fuels, you start to see that on the, uh, the gas LDC side as well.
1: And just to clarify, we've meant that we've re- reduced our reliance on fossil fuels, not the
2: reliability of our fossil fuels. Yep, yep. Uh, thanks, Steam,
0: for that color. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. We'll now move to Carly Davenport of Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking the questions and all the updates. Um, maybe just a quick follow-up on on your comments just then on on tax credit transferability. Um, you know, the color that you've done already, kind of $250 million of of contracts. Can you just talk a bit about kind of how the market's been evolving relative to your initial expectations and how you kind of think about the competitiveness of, of that space?
4: Yeah. Hey, hey Carly. Um, thanks for the question. So it's evolved Pretty close to how we expected it to this year. Bilateral transi- transactions, bilateral transactions, in kind of the pricing we anticipated. Um, there has been significant amount of demand. The demand is much, much greater than our supply of PTCS. Um, now I've, we're still waiting for a little for the treasury to stand up their portal and additional administrative requirements. But we feel comfortable executing contracts. I think also what we found, and this is. The strength of us is we are a major player in this market we have a great tax department and we with our balance sheet strength and our credit quality we have no issue with identifying these credits which makes it really easy to do business with us Um, and as a certain evolve we're getting into longer term discussions is not just a 2023 or 2024 transaction but hey let's look at you know longer term multiple years signing up a a single counterparty so we're very pleased with how it's developed and and the amount of interest from their counterparties there and for us it's great we have almost 20 fortune 500 companies in our backyard in minneapolis in minnesota so it is great to have those relationships at the c-suite level to drive some of these
0: Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you. And then maybe to the follow up just on the, the hydrogen hub process now that that's, that's been awarded, I guess, how should we be thinking about timeline there? And is there any dependence on, on that investment cadence going forward um, on kind of how the, the tax credit structure uh, looks for hydrogen once we get that from the Treasury?
3: Uh, sure. So, Carly's Bob, um,
0: we, um
3: We're really excited about our clean fuels program, uh, but it is Fairly long dated. Um, we are at a place where we are invited to to negotiate with the DOE on this Upper Midwest hydrogen hub, the Heartland hub. Uh, negotiations, final engineering, those processes are going to take probably two years. I wouldn't say we'd start capital deployment till probably the end of our five year plan and runs through the end of the decade. You know, I would think that parts of the hub could be activated by 2029 2028 2029 so it's, it's long dated investment cycle um, it's a five billion dollar project about half of that was attributed to projects that we proposed so about two billion dollars of company capital paired with half a billion dollars of federal money uh, it's sort of how I think about it none of that's in our financial plan uh, and that's about the timeline it's going to go on you know so We'll still work on that does not include any investments also that we would look at some of the projects in Colorado were really attractive as part of our hub application there. We still want to work with, you know, the federal offices and our state partners to see if we can advance some of those projects as well. Again, none of that's in our base case or in our
4: steel for fuel portfolio. In Carl, as we can second part of your question, you yes, asked about kind of the, the guidance around that. You know, obviously we're still waiting for the guidance from Treasury on this. We provided our comments, industry's broader our comments. One of the things important to us is around on the 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 nuclear um, qualify qualify qualifying um for hydrogen PTC. So um hopeful that we get guidance here rumors sometime in November, but could could um, push a little bit.
0: Thanks for the color. Thank you. I'm Isaiah Davenport. We'll now move to Jeremy Tonnet, calling from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead.
3: Hi. Good morning. Hey, Jeremy. How are you?
7: Good. Good. Clearly, an incredible update in Colorado here, and just wanted to dive in a little bit more, if I could. Um, you know, just given the rate-based growth that, as you outlined there, and how should we think about, I guess, the EPS growth? You know, um, relative to the rate-based growth, given the higher interest rate environment here. You know, thinking about potentially greater than 10% rate-based growth, uh, do you see the gap, um, you know, kind of uh, widening at that point? Or or how should we think about that at a high level? Hey,
4: hey, hey, Jeremy, you know, good question. Obviously, we are in in a um, higher interest rate environment, higher financing market, and also have some um, issue equity equity to fund the creative growth which we're very comfortable with it's important to maintain a strong balance sheet and we've been very consistent about how we'll fund incremental growth so as you go through that you do see a little bit of divergence from rate-based growth and eps growth but uh certainly not hard to do the math and i'm sure all of you have done that math already
7: got it yep no uh good math to do there uh so that makes <laughs> sense um, and, uh, you know, just wanted to kind of come in on, um, you know, the O&M side for the guidance there. And I think usually it's been kind of to down, if I recall correctly, but targeting a little bit of an uplift in, in 24 here. And just wondering if you could provide a bit more color on the increase here and how this uh, O&M, uh, I guess, you know, impacts how, um, you know, 24 guidance could fall out, you know, particularly given Minnesota being a bit lighter than expected.
4: Yeah, I mean, we take everything that happened in this year take, from a regulatory perspective or a case perspective, taken into account as, as we uh, give 2024 guidance. When we think about O&M and we're down for this year, our guidance for this year is down one to 2%. So as we think about next year, up one to 2%, we've taken management actions um, in this year. And so really when I put the two years together, it's about essentially maintaining flat O&M. It's our big focus from a long-term perspective, uh, is investing in technology to improve processes and take costs out of the business. We have an innovation and transformation arm focused on eliminating waste um, and improving processes. We call it One Excel Energy Way that we've deployed at the start of this year. And also, as we go longer term, we start to see uh, tailwinds from coal plant shutdowns as we start to shut down a unit a year almost. So, um, So next year is just a little bit of a balance between this year and next year, but over flat is how I would look at it overall got
7: it that that makes sense on the other side of the coin uh as it relates to the sales outlook you talk about the data center opportunity uh in in two, uh, you know supporting this two to three percent growth is that kind of like the right base to think about beyond 24 um do you anticipate some further acceleration over the five-year plan just trying to you know calibrate if like the environment is just different now given some of the tailwinds as as you talked about and clearly you know as well Oil and gas, the Delaware Basin really click on all cylinders here. A lot of activity that we see on the pipeline side. So just, I guess, curious for, you know, those drivers and how that could carry out over time.
4: Yeah, and I think really next year, as you mentioned, uh, in the Permian Basin, significant growth down in SPS as we're supporting electrification and working closely with our large customers there. Um From a data center perspective and thinking about the longer term growth, I do think right now our five year um, sales growth is, is we're projecting two to three percent over the five years. So kind of think about 2024 and that will continue um, over the next five years. And I think there's even opportunity beyond that as you start to look at. What generative AI means from from a load perspective and a data center perspective, so pretty excited we think about you know obviously there's investment opportunity, but we think about low growth helping us keeping customer bills low and affordable, and that's really important as we look to invest significantly into our system.
7: Got it uh, that's very helpful. thanks real quick last one if I could, just just kind of rounding things out here. any updates on the ongoing Marshall wildfire uh, litigation, any updates on whether total liabilities are likely to breach the 560 insurance coverage or any color you could provide there?
3: Yeah, hey, it's Bob. I don't think we've seen a lot of material updates in Marshall. I think in our disclosures, in our queue, and in our earnings release are up to date. Uh, We've seen um, 675 plaintiffs. You know, to put it in perspective, we think there are about 1,100 structures that had some amount of physical damage um, and uh, estimated by the by the state of Colorado at about $2 billion worth of damage. None of that's changed or been updated. The case is into 14 complaints, and it's been consolidated into a single case right now. Uh, the The statute of limitation ends at the end of this year, so we think it will be pretty quiet until then. Maybe a couple other uh, plaintiffs trickle in. Through the process, and then we'd expect to get a litigation calendar sometime in, in early next year.
7: Got it. Very helpful. Uh, thank you for the time. I'll leave it there.
0: Thank you, Mr. Tunnett. When we'll I move to Anthony Crowdell of Mizuho, please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Just hopefully, easy one. Everything's been answered. Um, great news on Colorado, but just
3: following up on Jeremy's question. You talked about, I think, the company's going to file a wildfire mitigation plan, I believe, in 2024 in Colorado. Is, is there a potential for even additional CapEx associated with wildfire mitigation? And it's like magnitude, is that similar to what we've seen in the, uh, you know, steel for fuel 2.0? Hey, Anthony, good morning. Um, look, we've been operating under a, a WMP in Colorado for the past four years. I think that plan was around – million in total. Uh, We are looking at more capital investments as we roll forward. I think a lot of that's going to be built into the base plan already. Uh, I don't think it has anything of the magnitude of steel for fuel 2.0. Obviously, the big needle in there would be if we did something very dramatic on undergrounding. I don't see a proposal that will move the needle necessarily in in capital expenditures uh, going forward, but, but something worth looking at.
6: Great. Thanks again. Great
3: quarter. You bet. Thanks, Anthony.
0: Thank you. you, sir. We'll now move to David Arcaro calling for Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead, sir.
8: Well, hey, good morning. Thanks so much for taking my question. Um, I was wondering, you know, this is – it's clearly a step change uh, in the renewables aspirations and uh, opportunity for Colorado. Could this also apply to Minnesota in terms of – Potentially seeing an acceleration and a step change um, in renewables there as you fully realize the benefits of IRA going forward,
3: yeah maybe hey David, it's Bob, and good morning, and thanks for the question um, when i When I think about my prepared remarks, I made the comment around fifteen to twenty thousand gigawatts of, of gener- fifteen thousand megawatts of generation by the end of the decade. If you think seven of that's in Colorado, then the balance, eight to 13, is a combination of SPS and NSP. Uh, there's very little in our capital plan, our seal for fuel plan, that's included uh, for those two regions in our capital plan or in our seal for fuel 2.0 that Brian laid out. So we have real generation um, upside investment opportunities. They're a little longer dated, so think 28 to 30, maybe outside of the plan period. Some might creep into this five years, but I think it's really more backdated, uh, but that's a substantial amount of generation in each of those two um, into those jurisdictions. We did go through a resource plan in Minnesota, uh, the 1,200 megawatts that, that we referenced in terms of uh, RFP uh, for next year is part of that program, uh, but this probably 4,000 to 5,000 megawatts of that is in the upper Midwest, uh, largely approved as part of our last resource plan that we need to go execute upon.
4: Yeah, and we have, as we mentioned, we have the 1,200 megawatts of wind RFP in flight. We actually have a Wisconsin RFP, solar RFP in flight that we're working on. And we, you know, we think, well, we'll follow another resource plan, but also significant opportunities in Minnesota, are longer data is around our wind repowerings and the assets that we put in service in the 18 to 21 time frame. You know, we're, we're repowering a couple older ones that we brought forward to the commission, and it's a great way to increase output and save our customers money. And so we'll, we'll look at those as we get closer to the time period as another opportunity um, in terms of being able to drive savings for our customers, invest in steel in the ground.
8: Got it. That all makes sense. It's helpful to frame it up. And, um, was curious, what's the latest that you're seeing in renewables economics in terms of LCOE in your service territories? You know, there have been market concerns about rising PPA prices, inflationary pressures in the renewable supply chain. Uh, but just curious what your experience has been in terms of, you know, latest data points. How attractive have renewables projects looked?
3: Yeah, David. Hey, look. So the, the great benefit of the last couple of years is obviously the Inflation Reduction Act. We've definitively seen higher capital costs in wind and in solar, uh, but the IRA and the tax benefits of 100% PTCS have been able to offset that, at least in our jurisdictions, on an LCOE basis. So, probably, I give you some data points. I'd say we've seen probably 30 to from our last approved wind project, which would have been our Dakota Ridge project. Uh, we built that for around 1200 1250 a KW. We've probably seen capital cost increases on wind or 30 to 40% on top of that. But the IRA has offset all of the capital cost improvements as well as NCF improvements from the, the better technology and the bigger turbines. Those two combinations have put our LCOEs on those projects in line with what we put wind into service for in 2020 eighteen and 2019. So, we're really favorable uh, participants. Our customers are great beneficiaries of the Inflation Reduction Act to keep the levelized cost of energy uh, very, very affordable for our customers. And when I think about, I made the comment earlier around sort of economic development opportunities. We're putting wind in. Let's say we're putting wind in around 20, 22 dollars a megawatt hour. Uh, you compare that to offshore wind on the East Coast at north of 100. Uh, and we think over time, lower cost energy will accrue and economic benefits uh, to to our regions of the country.
8: Yeah. Excellent. Okay. That's great to hear. Thanks so much for the update.
0: Thank you, sir. We'll now move to Travis Miller of Morningstar. Please go ahead. Good
9: morning. Thank you. Just a, a couple quick follow-ups. Hey, Travis, to- good morning. Hi. Uh, just a couple of quick follow-ups to some of the earlier questions and your comments. That one to two percent moving the sales number to two to three percent, what's the approximate earnings impact there? Incremental, all else equal.
4: Yeah, I'm just easiest way to think, Easiest rule of thumb is a, I'll call it a one percent change in sales is about a twenty-five million dollar change in the revenue from from our energy, uh, energy sales. So that's a good good rule of thumb for you, Travis.
9: Okay, after tax, that's earnings, right? Oh, that was revenue, Revenue.
4: sorry, that's revenue. Revenue. And that that takes into account our our true up and decoupling mechanisms. Okay, so pre-tax, okay.
9: Got it, and then uh, on the Heartland and some of the other projects you've mentioned in terms of new technology, other hydrogen projects, is your thought process to put that through, some of those things through the regulatory, traditional regulatory process, or... Do you foresee potentially coming up with another financing structure, or another corporate structure, something that would house some of those projects that are, say, unusual in, in a positive way, obviously?
3: Hey, Travis and Bob, good morning. Um, our proposed plan would certainly put the assets into regulatory rate base uh, here in the upper Midwest. Uh, if you think about our, our proposals at the DOE, we've got green hydrogen off of wind and solar, we've got pink hydrogen off of nuclear plants, and the end uses are we're going to uh, help partners create green fertilizer, so green ammonia to green urea to fertilizer, uh, as well as uh, some amount of blending into our gas plants and into our LDCs with some of the output. So the expectation is, is they would go through a regular state process around that capital investment. And those ultimate uses for the fuel.
9: Okay, perfect. And, and then real quick, Minnesota, any update on the timing of your appeal process? And,
3: and uh, so the, rate, the case? rate case. Yeah. So the, sorry. Thanks. The um, we went through a, a reconsideration process in mid-September. Uh, I think our appeal plan would be early November.
9: Okay, and then about how long does that take? What do you think?
4: Sometime in the next year. Okay.
9: Okay. Very good. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Sorry for that. Thank you, Mr. Miller. We'll now go to Ross Fowler, colleague from UBS. Please go ahead. Your line is open, sir.
3: Morning, Bob. Morning,
0: Brian. How are you? Morning, Ross.
3: Um, so, so, Brian, maybe one for you, um, since you're, you guys are sort of on the leading edge of a lot of this transferability. Um, and you know,
8: feel free to take us offline if uh, if you can't do it in seven minutes. But um, I'm just thinking through, like, how do you think about the accounting? Do you record the non-monetary asset at fair value and then book a sort of gain or loss against that when you get the cash? Or there's no FASB guideline here, right? If I've got it right. So, Harry. How are you walking through the accounting of these first ones that you're doing? And, and can we get clarification from FASB or the IRS at some point about how the accounting should work?
4: Certainly. You know, we, were this, we work closely with our audit uh, firm on this, and the audit firm is working with the, you know, the big four is all working together. The way we look at, at it, it's an income tax model election for us. And we'll, mm-hmm. so what that means is we're going to run it through the gains and losses through income tax expense on our income statement. Um, and so any discounts on the sales will run through that. And then from a regulatory approval of regulatory me- mechanisms for that discount, um, where we'll be able to have deferral treatment of the discount with our regulatory approval. So it, um, really, because this is a benefit for our customers and able to have that regulatory deferral mechanism is helpful. And then it will run through our cash from operations. So think income tax expense line item and then cash from operations.
6: Got it.
0: Got it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. We'll now take questions from uh, Paul Patterson calling from Rock. Associates. Please go ahead.
1: Hey, good morning. Morning, Paul. Um, so all my questions have been answered except for, uh, and congratulations, uh, but just on Comanche, um, I saw that, that there was a – can you hear me? Yes, we can, can you hear me? Yes, yeah. Um sorry. Uh the Comanche litigation um just was wondering uh with the jury ward and everything where we where we stand with that is that pretty much over and just if you could elaborate a little bit more on that.
4: Yeah, I mean it's it, we we will appeal. We feel that we have a strong legal challenge against the there's two items that they awarded was related to lost power. I mean the, the jury found no liability and all the other Allegations including no award for dimin- diminution of plant value, so you know as as Paul mentioned in the opening comments, we view it as a one time charge uh, and we have a strong legal basis um for challenging that um uh twenty six million dollars of, of award
1: okay, so that was what that charge that jury award was what was reflected in the third quarter result is that right that's correct yep yeah. yep yeah.
0: okay okay, great thanks so much yep, Thank you Ms. Patterson we we'll I now go to Ryan Levine calling from City, Please go ahead.
8: Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Just um, quick ones. What's your current thought on PPA buy-ins in light of some of the tax transferability dynamics and, and some of the other developments that you're having?
4: Hey, Ryan. It's something we have nothing in, in our capital plans for PPA buy-ins or PPA buyouts um, as we think about it. It's something that can come through um, the RFP processes um, as we think about it, and we work closely with our developers to see if there's an opportunity. Um, the way I think about it, the opportunities may come in if you can buy out a wind farm and repower it. That's where we've been successful with our PPA buyouts. But we think of it as an incremental, op- very opportunistic, um, call it opportunistic, hard to predict um, opportunities. And, and that's why we don't put anything in, in our capital plans. But we do co- work closely with our developers to see if there's opportunities from time to time.
8: Okay. And then regarding the looks like $100 million DOE grants for wildfire mitigation that's been rewarded more recently, you know, as you go into a wildfire mitigation plan and, and look at more spending, is there opportunities to receive additional grants? Or are you pursuing any federal capital to automate your plan? Yeah,
3: hey Ryan, it's Bob. I, I don't know if there's more dollars in the DOE bucket in the grid resiliency program um, you know obviously we're going to take these dollars and continue to do additional work uh, those were discrete projects that were approved with the DOE and are earmarked across our various states uh, some of which is for wildfire some of it is in technology development um, so we're, we're excited about partnering with the DOE it's about a 60 40 split in terms of their funding versus our capital and our pieces embedded within our forecast so it's not going to be a big upside in terms of capital investment opportunities but as we look to the long term uh, on wildfire mitigation uh, plan you know we're going to work with all of our stakeholders in our various states uh, but the wildfire mitigation plan in Colorado should get filed uh, late this year early next uh, and, and Look to be very proactive in how we handle system hardening, new technology to bring to bear to, to minimize the risk of ignition for our customers uh, in the state. Uh, obviously, protecting their assets
4: and their health is our, our priority. Yeah, I was just thinking, just you know, taking a step back. You know, we're proud of the four grants that we've received. Really folks. you know, how can we help lower the cost of our customers, whether it's for new technology and around, specifically around the form 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 long duration battery. And not only did we get $70 million in DOE funding for that, but we also got $20 million from uh, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, so $90 million for those two pilots. So really a great story, Um, and looking forward to working with our commissions um, on all the DOE funding that we've received so far, and certainly we'll look for other opportunities out there.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Levine. As we have no further audio questions, I turn for closing remarks to turn call back over to CFO, Brian Van Abel.
4: Thank you all for participating in our earnings call this morning. Please contact our investor relations team with any follow-up questions.
0: Thank you much, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes today's conference. We wish you a very good day, and you may not disconnect.